Welcome to the England Rugby Pod. Thanks for downloading episode 146. England's World Cup campaign continues to gather momentum as they enjoyed some lack of the Irish at the weekend. We look ahead to the Italy clash. You're listening to the England Rugby Pod, the rugby podcast that believes England will win the World Cup in 2019. Hey guys, welcome back. Uh, a midweek episode. There's no game this weekend for England, but uh, yeah, still plenty to talk about. And guess what? Dan's back. Hi, mate. Hello, matey. How are we? Uh, yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Uh, obviously, yeah, gutted. Well, not gutted, but you know, looking forward to, to seeing more action from the England boys, especially after last weekend. But um, it's going to have to wait an extra week. Um, but still an interesting game this weekend with uh, with. Wales against Ireland, so looking forward to seeing how they get off because that could uh, throw a few cats amongst some uh, pigeons. That's, uh, I, I believe, that's the phrase. Yeah, it was this week, and we'll, we'll go into more depth about it. Jesus Christ, that was. I don't think I could ever have seen that result coming, and we'll, we'll go into a bit more about it. But I listened to another good pod from you and Billy, I thought. Thank you. I thought you boys covered it very well. Uh, I, enjoy, I really enjoyed listening to that, actually. Yeah, well, look, I, I think. Uh, Oh, both of us, thanks to Billy for, for kind of stepping in and, um, you know, it all happened fairly quickly on fairly short notice. But uh, yeah, you know, really appreciate you doing that, Billy. And, and I'm sure for you and also for the rest of our listeners, it won't be the last time that we hear from him. Um, but uh, but Dan is making a return, at least as far as the plan is for, for now, for the live pod against Italy, as that's a Friday night game. So you'll have... Dan and his wisdom back for that one. <laughs> I, I believe we'll probably watch that at yours over a couple of beers. Is that still the current plan or would you rather I stay away? Uh, I mean, you know, is, is now the time to answer that question? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll be there anyway. Okay, good. good. Uh, either way, we will have an episode for you. And with any luck, Dan will feature in it, which will be nice. Um, but Dan, yeah, but well, before we get into kind of what's going on and what that means for the next few weeks and for the World Cup and everything else, um, no new reviews, but I did want to just uh, give a quick shout out to, to Jared Marshall. He's the owner of the English Rugby Fanatics Talking Facebook group, um, and he got in touch with us in the week. Um, he'd obviously come across the podcast. He liked what we were doing. Um, I think he's in a fairly similar boat. You know, he, he and one of his friends, big rugby fans, England rugby fans, always kind of talk tactics with one another and decided to sort of try and do something more with that. And in their case, they set up this Facebook group and it, by all accounts, got um, went a bit nuts. Um, so he has been sharing our content, which is awesome. And uh, so, so, Jared, thanks for asking us to get involved with that. Thanks for sharing uh, our latest episode uh, and hopefully future ones as well. And thanks to all of your members for engaging with us. Uh, and also, we will definitely look to try and get you guys uh, on the pod at some point and have a chat and see what your thoughts are because it sounds like we're all uh, fairly similar in the way that we view these England boys and their chances at this year's World Cup. So, um, yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, Jared, Jared sounds like someone we should uh, chat with more for no reason other than you need friends? a like-minded oh, individual. Okay. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I, I was trying to put it nicer, but yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, the other thing, guys, I did put a tweet out last week. I've had absolutely no responses from it, but uh, uh, we're looking, or Dan doesn't know this yet, but he will do in a moment. We're looking for any Tongan, American, Argentinian, or Argentine, uh, or French rugby fans that uh, obviously listen to the pod or if any of you guys know anyone that would be interested who might want to do like a midweek 
um, kind of guest spot, even just sort of 10, 15 minute chat in the build up to our pool stage games against uh, their respective teams, because that could be quite interesting. Um, but obviously, yeah, short notice is all going to happen, start happening next month. So um, that's a great idea. But it would be quite cool to, you know, I can't promise we'll be, you know, we'll give you the platform to give yourselves too much of a chance, because of course, this is the England rugby pod and we're we're all about blind loyalty but um yeah it would be cool to get some some sort of uh viewpoints from the from the enemy uh so yeah get in touch if you be <laughs> if you be keen i'm sure it sounds really appealing now uh and dan yeah uh, before we again before we move on i think we probably need to just take a moment to to appreciate what sir ben stokes did at the weekend mate that was that was incredible so is is Ben Stokes and and I I don't know the answer to this. Is Ben Stokes currently the best English sportsman about? Uh, Thinking about what he did, what he did at Head in Me, what he did at the World Cup final. Can, but can you can you have a best English sportsman like? Well, I don't he's, know. I don't he's know. obviously yeah. not better than any of the England team in rug, at rugby. So, uh, although his dad did play for New Zealand. Is he potentially one of the most impactful English sportsmen that yeah, the without, then, with, I would say? With, uh, without question, like he's just he's just put on a, a, an individual display that whatever it was six weeks ago he did in the World Cup final, and everyone said, you know, he's just created one of the most rem- memorable sporting moments ever. He's just done it again. So yeah, hundred percent, and he's up there. Um, I don't know if you could go as as far as to even name a best English sportsman, but certainly yeah, where cricket's concerned, uh, there's no doubt. Um, it's just it was just phenomenal to to do what he did. You know, England England basically had no chance. That was incredible. Let's not forget. I I think a lot of it, and and I'm not taking anything away from Ben Stokes. I think he's an absolute legend, and I think what he did was brilliant. But let's not forget it. Like Joe Root had an incredible innings as well. True. Um, in, in that second inning, but what he did just under that pressure, and allegedly, I I heard this from a, another sportsman somewhere. Allegedly, he said to Leach when Leach came in, and they still had seventy odd runs with one wicket remaining, and he just said, "Survive this first over, I'll do the rest." And wow. that's just awesome, isn't it? Just to have someone just with that confidence, that ability, and just to breed the confidence in the team. Um. So my next question to you, no, actually, let's focus more on that because that was an unbelievable win. And England cricket team, England cricket fans, I'm a massive England cricket fan. They are, they are just showing England have got a reputation sometimes in some sports historically of crumbling, uh, you know, when it counts. But the England cricket team have shown nerves of steel beyond belief they have got balls the size of basketballs hold on hold on hold on (laughs) they got 64 all out mate they won first innings well they they didn't ben stokes won well it's it's still a team effort um (laughs) i I think you've got to be very careful saying that that uh i think there's a there's there's a lot of problems in the england cricket team i think ben stokes has has helped them survive a game they should have lost and he's given them the opportunity to to fix whatever the problems there are. Um, and it's certainly made for a much more interesting Ashes. He's kept it alive. 
but I think let's not get carried away. Like there, there are you know our, our really our openers haven't performed in the entire Ashes series yet, and we're just fortunate that we have capable batsmen right the way through the eleven, um, because. You know, until you until your openers are the ones scoring the runs, you, you know it's great having a Ben Stokes who can do what he can do with both bat and ball, but you can't rely on it. Well, that shut me up fairly quickly. Yeah, so but, we're uh... going to move on though because we're not the England cricket pod. No, what are we? England rugby? Yeah, England cricket pod. <laughs> um, we're the England rugby pod, Dan, and so uh, so yeah. But but yeah, just quickly though, is Ben Stokes currently the front runner for sports personality? I think he's got to be up there. And uh, I, just just before people write in and say, and I know somebody will will claim I said he's the best English sportsman ever, I'm not saying that. And I'm definitely not saying best ever. I'm, it was just a question I posed. And, but um, he's got to be front-runner for sports personality. But that's only at the moment, because when uh, we win the World I Cup... I was going to say, exactly. Well, so, so let me ask you then, when we win the World Cup, and obviously we don't know what's going to happen yet in terms of how we win the World Cup, but when we do, who is your sports personality prediction? Well, or at I, least I, the, the you know the, the kind of the contender. Who who, who I, do you think, I, I think the, obvious, the... the obvious choice would be Owen Farrell, right? The yeah. obvious choice would be Owen Farrell. I think the and issue Marrow. there, though, the issue there, though, Dan, is that word personality. Yeah, like, but love Owen Farrell, but it's not used for like I think where a lot of people get sports personality wrong. Personality isn't used in regards to. They're, them as a person is used as a the be, basically it's the most impact of like who's been the best sporting person that year and mm. they're saying personality as in the person they're not saying personality as in I hear you I hear what you're saying sport. but I think that it's voted for by is it the public that vote for sports personality I think it is isn't it it, it is yeah it's the public so, but don't get so, Murray on it. so yeah but you know people do like him and he you know little things like going on um uh, what's the James Corden um, sports, you know? Oh, the comic relief thing. Or no, whatever. no, no. The question of sport, he, you know, the thing he does. Oh, um, I, I watch uh, it. I should know what it's called. With, a League with, of Their Own. Yeah. Think going on things like that and just, you know, showing that there's someone behind the the sportsman um, and like in interviews and things, the way that they come across. And I know that Andy Murray has, has been, it's been joked about that, you know, he's boring, but he makes a joke. He, you know, he takes the piss out of himself. And, and so I think there's something in that that people kind of can, can not necessarily relate to, but, you know, it, it makes him more appealing as a person to vote for. I, with Owen Farrell, I just think he's he hasn't had the opportunity to do that yet. And I don't know how popular he is as an individual. We love him, but I don't know. I think there are other players in that team that maybe. So who's your prediction? That's a, I mean, I don't know is the answer. I, I think, who do I look? I don't know. Before knowing what's going to happen, because obviously, you know, if it was a Johnny drop, you know, if, if Owen Farrell drops a goal that wins us the World Cup, then that's a different story. Um, but uh, not again, not that there's the personality there, but love Manu to be in with a shout. Just for some big smashes. Manny Tulagi, sports personality for breaking through 300 tackles in a World Cup campaign. So on this Manny thing, moving away from sports personality, I was listening to uh, House of Rugby podcast with one with Haskell and Tyndall. And Tyndall says that he thinks Manu has to be at 13. Mm -hmm. And the reason for it is if he's at 12, 
he's typically running, he'll often be running at a forward. He'll often be running maybe at a seven or something. And they will likely make the tackle. That's their thing. That's their job, basically. At 13, he might be running at a 10 or a back. And even if he's running at a 10, a 12, even a Bundyaki, will want to protect their 10. So it opens up more space for him. Now, listening to his reasoning, I think it is solid. And I'm starting to come around to him at 13. Even against Wales in the Six Nations, when we were poor second half, when Manu made that break, it's because he was drifting into the 13 channel. So I'm starting to think Manu at 13 might be a great... Well, I know he's played 13 before for England and done damage, and I know he'll do damage at 12 as well, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. I think I think what we've got here is is um, quite a, a unique situation where Manu at 12 or Manu at 13 is going to be dependent on the opposition. I think if we're playing an opposition that's going to play a very tight blitz defence and like you say, you're going to get the, the big tacklers up early and they're going to shut Manu down or, or do a better job of shutting him down, then it makes sense probably to have him further out. Um, but then the key becomes distribution and getting the ball to him in time to, to let him do what he what he does. If you're playing a team that's going to have a slightly slower defence, particularly in some of those early games, I think getting the ball sooner and the sooner he gets the ball, the better. I think the other the other thing to bear in mind is that when you've got him and Joe Cockenasiga on the pitch together, like we had against uh, Ireland... It's, you know, they both do the same thing effectively once they've got ball in hand. And in terms of the opposition defence, they view them in the same way. It's very rare that they're going to commit to one-on-one with Manu because they know he breaks tackles. So he's drawing in defences. So if you've got, as happened a few times against Ireland, if you've got Big Joe you know, out wide, whether he's the next man out or he's two out, and Manu makes a dummy run, and pulls, you know, and 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 you know, commits and pulls it off. They have to suck the fence in to cover him when he doesn't doesn't get the ball and it goes out wide. You're giving Joe, big Joe, you know, one on ones, and you're going to back him most times, particularly against a winger. So, <clears throat> I think, I think looking when you look back at the Six Nations and and you know pose the same question, um, there's definitely an argument for pushing him further out. Just you know, exactly for the reasons that you and obviously Tyndall uh, said. I, I'm, I'm, I'm copying Tyndall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. so, so that that makes sense. But I think when you then have Joe Cockenhaseger in the back line as well, I think it changes slightly because yes, Manu might be covered. You know, if he's playing at uh, twelve, he might be covered by you know a flanker or a number eight or something. Um, but but I'm not sure there are many teams that would st- that would that would be, be willing to. Just assume that their one forward was going to take him down, at least not without making ground. So I, I still think that they'd be inclined to have someone else and look to, to do a double tackle on him, which is going to suck defenders in. And again, it, it then becomes a case of saying, well, who's at 10? If it's Owen Farrell, is he smart enough? Yeah. To see where the right call is to say, let, let, let them think the man is getting the ball, but actually ship it wide quicker and get it out to Big Joe on the wing. Yeah, so it was interesting. So Joe Cottenseeger's uh, first try from a set piece. In my mind, the international rugby team shouldn't score a try first phase of the set piece. We got two. Uh, yeah, and I'd, one of the reasons for that is for a major reason for that was for running lines, for likes of the man in. People have to hold because he's such a threat. Yeah. And a bit wider, but it opens the space. So 
I Manu Manu was absolutely immense that day. That was the best. I think that's the best performance I've ever seen Manu put in in an England top. Mm. Um, the argument against New Zealand in 2012 or whenever it was, that's obviously close. But Manu, we need him to stay fit because he is an absolute machine. And like you said, uh, with Joe Cocknessier as well, that is. That is, if you're an opposition defence, it's a bit like, oh, shit, we've got, uh, we've yeah, got yeah, two. Like, on Saturday, watching that game, um, you know, live, so without knowing knowing the result, every time the ball went wide and you saw a fairly even match-up in terms of numbers, but you had Manu and Joe in that line, it felt like a try was on. And it yeah. shouldn't it shouldn't be like that at international level. Now, I know Ireland were, were really poor, so <laughs> let's not... You know, let's ignore the scoreline for a minute and just say, you know, it, it it should it should never have it should never happen. Sorry, no, don't ignore the scoreline. But my point is, you know, yes, the scoreline was so big because Ireland were poor, but it would never have been that big without England being good. Do you know what I mean? Like if if both teams were Completely. poor and Ireland were worse, England would have won, but not by that that margin. You know, for, to get a margin like that at this level. Even when one yeah. team's poor, the other team has to be clinical, and England were C- completely. And I think that's a huge. <clears throat> I, th- I think that's a huge thing for, like, just to look at how clinical England were, how well they finished. Um, I mean, Ireland's lineout was absolutely weirdly horrendous, which is not normally. They had no go forward ball, mm. which makes it really hard for them. One thing I will say about Ireland, Jordan, uh, Jordan Lama is one of the hardest men I know to take that tackle of Manu and to stand back up. It if that was. was me, I would still be in my dressing gown, shivering in my bed. And mummy, mummy. <laughs> that was one of the biggest hits I've seen since Josh Lucy on Matt Rogers. It was massive. Um, few people trying to somehow make out that it's illegal, but there was just nothing. It was, it was, it was completely fair. It, it was, was a textbook fair. body height tackle. And, and in and fairness to Ireland, them. none of their none of their players or stuff or anything. No, no, well, they, from what I've heard, none of them complained. No, no, no. I mean, they took it. I mean, Lamore, Lamore, Lamore. I can't even say it now. Anyway, I think it's Lamo, isn't it? Oh, that's how it's spelled. Like, yeah, I don't know. Jordan Lamo. Either either way, that guy to stand Jordan, up. <coughs> and, and... Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. He, yeah, he he kind of he kind of reached out and tried to grab Manu after the hit, but. That's just because pride was a little dented along with his chest, I'm uh, imagining. I think, I think it's because he did had no idea where he was. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> massive hit and fair play. And I, I, yeah, I'm glad that there was no injury off the back of it because that would have been of course. Uh, a shame. But yeah, just uh, Manu just letting him know, listen, sunshine, um, this is what you're going to get. Uh, and that's I, the kind of thing we want to see. Massive that is legal. That is massive. the kind of thing we want to see. And we also want to see, like like I say, uh, Jordan Lama, just, I don't know if I have more respect for the hit or the fact that he stood up and took it. Uh, I mean, that was like fury when he took that hit of Deontay Wilder. It was that level of, that would bury most people. Interesting analogy. Thanks. Um, I mean, look, the, the, the team in general, I mean, I know that we, Billy and I obviously went through um the game as it happened, but you know it's good, obviously, now to get your uh, view on on some of the aspects. I think that that uh, team, you know, from from front to back, just looked so different to what we'd seen in the two Wales games. I mean, when you've got Sinclair and George playing like fly halves, 
you know, a Tojin Cruise. Cruise, by the way, is looking absolutely massive. And right. for me, is absolute shoe in to be the starting lock with, with Marrow. Is, is he arguably ahead of Marrow? Possibly. I mean, they're diff- I think they're quite different, but together they were, they were all. I mean, Marrow was, yeah. was immense on Saturday as well. So I think they just complement each other beautifully. Um, but yeah, George Sinclair and a fatty. Although that, that, that fatty could be uh, Mako, in which case you've got three playmakers across the front. Well, uh, but Joe Marler, if, if Mako, because obviously Mako's got a bit of a niggle at the moment, which apparently is not, he's going to miss the Italy game, but apparently he should be fine fairly soon after that. Joe Marler is immense. Yeah, to, to clarify, when I say fatty, I don't mean actually that he's fat. I just mean, you know, he's oh, more, I, more of a traditional I, prop. Um, you know, he's there, he's... he's you know, a big a big unit scrummages well. You know, happy to get his get his hands dirty, uh, head down. Whereas you look at George and Sinclair, and not only are they doing that at the front, but they're also like playmakers. So, so I'm looking at the, the pack, and I'm going. We've kind of got these playmakers in Jamie George, in Kyle Sinclair, in Toje and Cruz, in Underhill, Curry, and in Billy, and that's the forwards. I don't know if I call Underhill a playmaker. Well, I'd call him an absolute psychopath. Psychopath, but... workhorse. But, you know, you look at that try that, I, I mean, they, anyone can do it. But, you know, pick, pick and go, draws a man, pops inside to Curry, little kamikaze kid duo try. It was awesome. I, I think Underhill, to me, Underhill has a lot better rugby brain than he's given credit for. Everyone just knows him as super hard, a great tackler. But... He, one thing that I loved about Underhill, especially when the game started, his chop tackle. So offloading is a massive thing at rugby at the moment. And typically that means that people will tackle a bit higher sometimes to try and avoid the offload. But Underhill seems to know when to go low and just chop tackle. He did it a few times where he just takes the legs out, stops them dead. And they're not necessarily in a position to offload. Or if they do offload, they're not in a complete danger position. I think Underhill well, it, really judges his tackles well. Well, it's an interesting point, because is, is this where having the two sevens in Underhill and Curry working together is exactly the right call? Because if Underhill goes in and does that chop tackle and they don't offload, and he's obviously backing the rest of his team to say, well, if they offload, someone else will deal with whoever gets the ball. If they don't offload and his chop tackle brings them down quickly... Curry's right there, ready to get in and snipe that ball away. So if they're kind of you know, running around the park, working as a unit, doing this, you know, it's another threat. I, I think that was a massively successful setup. I, I to, if I had to pick the final, the World Cup final fifteen now, those two are starting on the flanks. Well, I think I think the World Cup final pack is exactly what we saw on Saturday, except that if it. Mako starts Mako. ahead of Joe Marler, but you know, Mako has had 15 minutes of World Cup warm up. Um, he's out now for the Italy game. They say he will be fit for the World Cup, but of course, we don't know what that means for game one where he's included. But you know, touch wood, fingers crossed, and all that. You know, he stays fit. I think he's the only change to the to the pack, and um, and Joe Marler on the bench. I got, yeah, I agree with that. Um, so yeah, I think we saw our World Cup final pack. On Saturday, and they looked immense. Um, they looked good. Two and Aggie we've talked about. You've got to have them both involved because of not not even just because of what they can do ball in hand, but what they offer in terms of you know influencing defenses and, and forcing defenses to play a certain a certain way, which creates the the gaps, creates the opportunities, and it's another reason why at times 
you're two Lange at 12 with a playmaker at 13 and then Cock and Seeger on the outside when you're on the correct side of the pitch, obviously, means that you're kind of spreading, you're spreading things out. So you've kind of got playmakers dotted in and you've got um, kind of the big boys dotted in. You're keeping, you're keeping defences guessing at all times. Um, and if you get your strategy right, and it seems like England are doing that, um, getting the game plan right, then, then you know, you have a constant, there's constantly multiple options. Um, and I think as long as you've got a, a rugby brain at 10 who can see what's going on and make critical decisions, you know, on, on short notice, you know, there's always, there's always interesting options available um, by doing that. So I think, yeah, I think, I think Manu, Manu is a 12 slash 13, depending on the opposition and depending on, on what you're trying to do. And there's no reason why you can't you know, kind of move, change it around during a game, like not, not actually change position, but just for different moves, for different calls, just step inside, step outside. Because um, interestingly, it's what Ford and Farrell, and I'll talk about them, I want to talk about them with you in a minute, but mm. what Ford and Farrell did um, in that game, um, we know that Johnny Sexton is kind of renowned for his little loop around old school, pass, loop, take the ball again and create that. try to create the overlap that way. Well, we didn't quite do it like that, but what was happening was that Farrell was standing inside Ford and they were throwing a miss, a miss pass, so missing Farrell out, who was then looping around Ford, effectively creating the same sort of scenario to, to create more space on the outside and to try to, to induce a, an overlap. Um, so my question to you is, did the Ford-Farrell partnership work i mean obviously it worked because we won by you know we put 57 points on them but did it work in terms of a a world cup final or do you still think farrell is the 10 in which case if you're look if you're leaning towards manu at 13 who's the 12 um <clears throat> yeah that that so i i like i like manu at 13 having listened to the reasoning behind it ford farrell i think yes it did work is is the short answer. Do I is that my starting ten twelve? I don't know. Farrell's definitely involved, but whether it could, is Farrell maybe Slade at twelve. Um, one thing we're also forgetting: if mm. you have, if you have Manu at thirteen, JJ's not a twelve. But, so, but nor is Slade, because we you know Slade spent a lot of time playing at twelve for England, and frankly was rubbish, and everyone was calling for his head. He got moved no, to thirteen. Not everyone. Everyone but you. He got moved to thirteen, and everyone suddenly went, "Wow, uh, okay, this guy." You know, and I, you know, I'll be the first to put my hand up. You know, I, I wanted him gone, and then it clicked, and it was when he got moved to thirteen. So, do, do you know? Is a World Cup the time to go? Manu had a great game at thirteen. Let's put Slade back where he couldn't perform for England. I, I think that's a dangerous game. I I think he can perform there. I I think he's. But on on what basis and with what justification? Like we haven't, we've never seen him perform there for England. I I think he's got the skill set. So I I slightly disagree. I don't think he's ever had a cracking game there. But I I think he's. Can, is, but played, is, that a, is that a risk you can take in a World Cup final, putting someone that, yeah, uh, in a yeah, position so where they've a World... never had a cracking game for England? So I would like to see. I would like to see against Italy. I'd like to see Manu at thirteen, Slade at twelve. If Slade's fit. If, if Slade's we, fit, of do course. we know if he's fit? Uh, well, he he's not. Uh, we don't know. Well, I don't know um, whether he is. I 
I hope he'll be fit by then. We've got, well, we've got just over a week now and it's been a couple of weeks. So I've no idea is the answer. But if not Ford Farrell, I think can work. So, well, okay. So, so, uh, so jumping back a little bit then, another question for you. And let, Jack Knoll, as we know, has been injured throughout this World Cup campaign so far, this, this warm-up campaign. Um, there was hope that he would be back in time for the Italy game. It's looking unlikely. And there's now question marks over whether or not he's going to be fit for the World Cup at all. Obviously, England are hopeful and there's every chance that they're intentionally putting out these sort of press releases saying, oh, we're not sure because you know it's about keeping people guessing. Um, however, if Jack, if the worst happens and Jack Noll is, is not available for the World Cup and they have to replace him, do they replace like for like? Do they do they look at bringing in an extra prop? So you've got three of each because that was you know it was Harry Williams was was left out, um, you know, and 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 effectively um, Joe Marler was covering both sides. Do they look for another number eight because we haven't got an out and out eight? So someone like a Nathan Hughes. Do we look at scrum half? Because that's another thing we need to talk about. Um, Young's not looking great. Hopefully we'll see more from him against Italy. Um, or does it open the door for another fly half? So... A lot of, I, I, a lot of, a lot of ifs. Yeah, a lot of ifs. Great question. For me, if Jack Noel can't make it, which I hope to God he does, I, I, I still think we can... Jack Noel's a massive loss and... I, I think there was one time that I said without him we really struggle. Actually, I don't. I don't think it's the end of the world. I think it's a huge loss because he's such a good player. But I think we have so many other good players in that position that it mitigates that risk. But I think if he goes, it's another back. Firstly, because I think the forwards have been working on the basis of that's the squad. Mm -hmm. So then don't add another dimension to that squad. I, I think that might change dynamics. A bit so to me it's another back is it another back three i, I don't think so i just i, I agree with you I if don't we're think saying so. that if we're saying well, that may be has to be involved Fowler. for his pace and cock and Asiga has to be involved for his size and his pace and you've got watson there because he's cover for fullback but he's also a, you know an awesome winger he's so good and you've got daly who's at fullback but can play on the wing and then you've got McConaughey, who we don't know anything about yet, but we're just banking on the fact that he's some sort of secret weapon that Eddie's going to reveal at some point. I, I think you've got the back three covered. It was a surprise that he went with six of them to start with, and I think it's probably because he saw Jack Noll as a bit of a utility player. Um, and because because there isn't really anyone, there isn't really another Jack Noll out there. I just think if Jack Noll can't make it, I think you look. Further inside, and I think I think you look at ten or nine or ten. So when when did you say the deadline is? Is it the ninth of September? The ninth, I think it's the ninth of September. And the next match is the seventh. At the moment, although it's completely different because we're talking about an injury. Oh, that's true. That's true. At the moment, for me, Ben Youngs has enough in the bank previously to put that down as a poor performance, and it was a poor performance. Mm. And I still. Based on that and based on the other two games, I actually have Willie Hines starting. But I think two scrum halves might be enough. But scrum half's definitely an option. I, I okay, so if you went scrum half, before we then just discuss the, yeah. the fly-off, but if you went scrum half, you're looking at either Danny Kerr, Dan Robson, Richard Wigglesworth or Ben Spencer. 
I, I would personally go Danny Kerr. I think you'd need the experience, right? I, I, I Apart not from just it, the experience. The, 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 I think, I think he's the next best, personally. I mean, yeah, fine, but but I think I think I think whichever way you lean, it, it, it's close enough that I think the experience counts for enough to to kind of take you know to take it over the the line anyway. Um, and I think you know Youngs and Care are sort of like for like in terms of experience, but they're very different players. But it would enable you to have two impact scrum halves. And we've talked about, and this is the other interesting. You know, you've, you've talked about how the team that's going to win the World Cup, the team that is the best team in the world, is going to have to have, you know, certainly one of, if not the best scrum half in the world. You know, they, they're yeah. going to control the game from the back of the scrum. Um, Youngs was abysmal. He, he was very poor. And yet, and yet we still put 57 on them. Now, I know they changed hands, but but even, you know, we, there were three tries. It was 20, 20 points put on them with Youngs at the back of the scrum. So to me, that just shows even more you know, what the rest of that team was doing, you know, on what was frankly a poor day from, from the back of the scrum in the first half. It, it, it was, and it was a very poor day for him. Like I say, I personally believe he's got enough in the bank previously to have another option. And and I genuinely believe Ben Youngs is not now not a great player. I believe no, no, it no. was just a poor day for him. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I think it's important that he starts against Italy. Um, and it's it's important that he's given the opportunity to to have a, de- a decent run and, and show. But I think if he goes out against Italy and has a poor game again, I think then questions get asked because decisions need to be made because you can't risk it in a World Cup. 100%, yeah. Um, it, if that's the case, I think you still take him. But and I wouldn't be upset with another scrum half. I wouldn't be upset. It Does it open the Danny Cipriani debate again? Okay, well, let's move to, to fly half then. If we're talking, if we think fly half is the replacement, um, then it, then then surely Danny Cipriani has to be the call up. He's the next on the list, right? I mean, he was he was one of three, and they decided to go with two. I I, I believe he'd be next on the list if they go that route, especially if Farrell's looking at a twelve. I would love to see, and I don't think we have time to do this now. I would love to see Danny Cipriani. At ten, Farrell at twelve, Manu at thirteen. Oh yeah, I mean that's. It's, this is why it's a shame that that they got rid of him before, before having yeah giving him an opportunity to do that. We'd seen it once, but he came on as you know off the bench and, you know, had that kick in the corner for Johnny May's try, uh, won the game, and that was against. I can't remember who that was against. Well, um, against South Africa, it was South Africa, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we saw it one one time, um, and I think I think it needs to be seen again. You know, all of the media was suddenly all over Owen Farrell and him. Don't get on because Owen Farrell gave a, a look. You know, there was a, there was a glance that that immediately the rest of the world read it and and knew instantly that Owen Farrell hates Danny Cipriani and they could never play together. Well, I'm not convinced that that's true. Um, apart from anything else, I think Owen Farrell is is a bit too professional um, to to let something like that bother him, but. I think we needed to see it again. Um, you know, it's it's all well and good saying, "Oh yeah, but Danny Cipriani, you know, he has moments of magic." But can he do it? You know, throughout an entire game. Well, we've got warm up games. Give him an well, entire game, and let's find out. There's also, but do we also? So what we need to read into this as much as anything is 
going to so Ben Moon's obviously been called up as cover. He's gone flying out to Treviso for um, Mako. But also, along with that, is Charlie Yules in the second row. I, I don't really... I don't get that. ...understand that. Matt Kovacic, which is interesting, yeah. is a possible eight. So could that be thinking that? And Joe Marchant. So possibly Joe Marchant. I don't really get the Joe Marchant thing either. Uh, I mean, he's he's not he's he's not, he's not as impactful as a as a Manu, but I'm guessing he's being seen as as a sort of a bigger centre. And when well, you've got Slade and JJ at thirteen already, I'm not I'm not convinced that Joe Marchant offers that. I don't, yeah, I don't I don't get that one either. Really, I think Charlie Yules and Joe Marchant for me are, are a strange call up. Ben Moon makes sense; he's there to cover Mako. Although you have said that Joe Marler, well, actually, no, sorry, Joe Marler's already covering there, isn't he? Yeah. Um, so yeah, but, it's, but, but can, that does... can Joe Marchant play twelve? Um, I'm asking. I, 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 yeah, don't know. I, I, I know him as a thirteen, but I don't know if he play can play twelve as well. I, do, I genuinely don't. Yeah, know. I don't know the answer to that question either. Um, you know, he he was he came in at thirteen last weekend off the bench, didn't he? So yeah, yeah it... I, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure. What was that? Because JJ was injured. I, I don't know why Marchant's called that. I think JJ maybe got a, a, a late niggle and they decided to to bring Joe Marchant in in his place. Yeah, possibly. But Matt Kvezic thing is the one that interests me the most. Well, absolutely. And it, and it then poses the question, are they thinking if Jack Knoll's unavailable and we need an extra member of the 31, are we thinking that a, that a back row player would be more valuable? Because to be fair, when, when Underhill and Curry were both injured... Our back row within the thirty-one was looking pretty sparse. So, so yeah, absolutely. Underhill and Curry are two incredible sevens, and that's where Matt Kvesic is interesting because he's been awesome at eight for Exeter. But I mean, I, I'm a big Matt Kvesic fan, saying this, but he's a great seven as well. He's also a seven of the same ilk to a Curry and Underhill. Interesting. Three sevens. <laughs> Maybe that's, uh, what, yeah. maybe that's what we'll see against Italy. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Because Billy needs to be rested now. I, yeah, I, I really do not want Billy, to see Billy Vunapola against Italy. I, I, yeah, I, I think Billy's <clears throat> Billy's had enough game time now to show that he's match fit. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we need to see him, and I hope we don't. So, yeah, well, that could be very interesting, having, having effectively three sevens on the back, in the back row. Uh, we might lose a bit of impact. Uh, in terms of the, the the you know what Billy that brings to the table, but um, I guess you know we've made the decision not to have another Billy Vunapola in the squad. So the reality is is that if if a situation arises where we can't have Billy on the field, then we're going to have to have a slightly different game plan. So maybe you know, this is this is the time to test it. So just just quickly, uh, diversifying slightly based on that performance. And that's not the best England performance I've seen. But if England played to their ability with their best players out there, how that looks, are they the best team in the world? If England play to their best ability... Assuming another team also plays to their best ability. Well, with the England rugby product, yeah, of course. I agree. And we will no doubt hear from from particularly Welsh fans that we're talking out of our asses, but... No, I genuinely I know, think they are. You know, that, yeah, that's, I, that's the, that's the thing. I, I, I genuinely believe it. And I know that with the England rugby pod, I know we're biased. I know. But with that talent, 
I don't think, I think we have the best, like the starting 15, I think is the most talented in the world when they play to their ability. I truly believe that. Yeah, I mean, I, I suspect we'll hear from from people, um, or if if those people bring it on, who will say, well, any team can be the best if they play to play to you know to their very best ability. But I mean, if every team, but obviously plays they can't because ability. if everyone plays to their very best ability, then someone has to be the best. Um, and uh, and yeah, I mean, it would be a hell of a matchup, wouldn't it? The best of England playing their best rugby against the best of New Zealand Field. or yeah. South Africa playing their best. So, so the All Blacks are just an unbelievable rugby team and an unbelievable rugby nation. Where I think England slightly better than them, I think we have all round our game. Whereas I think the All Blacks, some of the stuff the All Blacks do, I don't think England could do or any other team in the world. But I think overall, if you look at our front row, if it's Mako, Sings, George, Marrow, Cruz, but Underhill, Curry, and Billy. I, to me, there's no pack that can come close to that. You're right, mate. You sound constipated. I am, mate. I'm getting. I'm just. I need to calm down. Breathe. Breathe yeah. down. Breathe. Through, I'm getting excited. Nose, out through the mouth. Stop being a weirdo. It's. Um, uh, I, I've, I've been watching a lot of rugby this morning. I'm. I'm getting pretty. Uh, it's because you, you keep missing the games. I. I know. I, it's been infuriating, but we literally have just over three weeks till the World Cup starts. We do. It's uh, exciting times. And yeah, in, I, I don't know if you've been watching the Rising Suns. This is a question to Dan, but also to you guys listening. If you've been watching the Rising Suns. They're on episode eight now. Um, it's kind of a, I guess it's a little bit like a, a, a episode by episode version of what Living with the Lions was for the Lions tour. You know, it's awesome. It's kind of seeing what the guys are getting up to in camp and just kind of getting a feel for for how it's evolving, which has been really uh, kind of insightful, but also interesting and just helps get get you kind of up for the games and up for the World Cup. Um, but this week they had the Archbishop in camp to help with a bit of uh, fitness. He's obviously a, a, a you know a, a qualified um, fitness instructor, among other things. Um, and that's, of course, James Haskell, the Archbishop of Banterbury, uh, self-named. Um, but yeah, he was in <laughs> camp helping the boys get their pump on um, and it was awesome to see. And Eddie was saying afterwards, you know, this is a guy who, you know, was an integral part of England's unbeaten year. Um, I think what's, you know, he the thing with Haskell is he he probably wouldn't have been selected, but he took that out of the selector's hands because he was obviously injured and has since retired. Um, so it's probably a bit easier to be involved in the camp um, because it's not like he has to go in there and suck up the fact that he wasn't good enough. Yeah, um, but you know, just watching the video and seeing the boys, you know, there's a bit of piss taking, but they're also taking him seriously, you know. So they'll they'll take the piss out of him and then do exactly what he's telling them to do. Uh, it just it just looked awesome having him part of it all. And he, he you know, he he's, he was talking about it very humbled by the fact that he was invited to be there and to be around the boys in the in the build up to the World Cup. They, they have to find a way to take him, like mascot, whatever. Um, make 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 the Archbishop of Banterbury a. Um, a role within the within the England World Cup uh, camp, um, f- and t- take him out to Japan. He's I, also I, played I, in Japan. He's got experience that that would be valuable. I would love that. I don't think it's going to happen. Bearing in mind his happen. now MMA career, but also I think with Haskell, I think the thing about Haskell is with everything that comes with him, which you and I personally love, but a lot of people focus on 
the sort of personality, what, what's behind the rug play. I think a lot of people forget just how good a player he was. He was a brilliant player. Just anyone who's unsure, watch the, that tour to Australia yeah. in 20, when was it, 2016, whenever it was, um, and just watch him play. He was, that's how good a player he was. And it, it wasn't a one-off thing. Like, to me, that was probably his best. He peaked. That was where he was peaking. Like, that's when he peaked. But there's also, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a stratospheric rise. He had other times where he's, he was always a really good player. And I think a lot of people forget just how good he was. And him going into camp, like you say, he, he throws himself into everything. He's so knowledgeable. I, great. I love the fact he was involved in that. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's good. It's good for the team. It's bringing a bit more experience, um, you know, kind of, and, and most of the guys, you know, will remember him as a teammate. Not like bringing yeah. in bringing in someone who won the World Cup in two thousand and three. This is a guy that most of them will have played with. Um, so yeah, just having that that uh, that experience in there from a from a workhorse like him, um, particularly kind of off the pitch. You know, I know as you as you mentioned, lots of people kind of hang on the the, the sort of the bants and the and the stuff, the social media stuff that he does. But you know, he's a guy that that worked hard and uh, and he's good at working hard. That was something he was always very good at. So. Yeah, not a bad person to have involved, um, and yeah, just just it was it was great great to watch. So if you haven't seen any of them, uh, I suspect YouTube. You head over to the England Rugby, um, so various social media pages. I'm sure there's links to all of these, but uh, there's eight episodes in. They're about ten minutes a pop, and you can kind of see what the England boys have been getting up to in camp, and it's uh, it's quite interesting uh, watching. Um, but yeah, I think. Bottom line is is things are looking good. I feel like England are just they're, they're starting to peak at the right times. I'm loving the fact that when they're interviewed, you know, none of them are getting uh, kind of too overexcited about anything. You know, the result from the you know the, the kind of the feedback from the players after the Ireland game was very much great to uh, to get a result. But we know we've got more to give. We know we can do more of this. We know we can do more of that. It just feels like you know the sky is the limit for these guys and and. You know they they rightly don't feel like they've peaked yet, and you know that's a that's an exciting thing to think about this England team after last weekend's performance. Agreed. Um, um, what, one quick question for you: Do we is Farrell's kicking a concern? I don't think you can say like. Well, how many did he miss on Saturday? Two. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying either way yet. I, to, to me, there's something. I think he's an absolute world-class kicker. I, well, the reason I say that, and the reason that we've been spoiled, is because we had Johnny. Yeah, but and I mean George Ford. The, the reason this is coming up is because George Ford has a hundred percent yeah success rate in this warm-up campaign. Um, I think quite a few pundits have sort of talked about the fact that actually George Ford. You know, yeah, he's got a hundred percent. Owen Farrell is 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 better from the with the harder kicks. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's something to be concerned about. You know, because don't forget, we've also got Elliot Daly, who, despite the fact that we've talked about thinking maybe Watson would be the better shout, who I have. Um, if that you know you want Daly involved, if Daly's there, he's a kicker. He's obviously the long range kicker, but he he's a kicker. Um, I, Henry Slade probably can kick. Um. But yeah, you've got if you're going with Ford and Farrell, you've got you've got options. I think you stick with Farrell. Um, 
I don't think he would want the job if he didn't think... Like, I think he would designate it if he didn't think he was in form. So, no, I'm not too worried. I don't think it's something to be concerned about. Fair enough. I think he's missing on purpose just to just to feed a false sense of security into the rest of the world. But actually, I don't think it matters because you've got Big Joe and Manu who are going to be smashing through and scoring too many tries for it to, to matter. I seriously hope so. Um, just before we call time on today's episode, then uh, I just want to quickly turn to this weekend where Wales, who obviously became number one in the world by beating England in that slightly bizarre um, game two weekends ago, are taking on Ireland who could have gone number one in the world if they'd beaten England, but they didn't. They lost 57-15 in a record loss. <laughs> um, so these two two are coming together. I genuinely think that team that beat Ireland would have done similar things to the Welsh team in Cardiff. That that performance. I, but you know, we'll never know because we'll never, we'll never get to see that. Um, but that's beside the point. Wales taking on Ireland. First of all, well, I suppose the thing is... so. They, they they went for a kind of a gun first fifteen against England, um, both both weeks. Lost the first one, narrowly won the second one. They've now ch- made fourteen changes for their yeah, game I was, against I was Ireland. Yeah, I was going to ask have you seen yeah. the team? Yeah, they made fourteen changes for the game against Ireland. Do you think? I mean, I guess just because I feel like Eddie's got it so right. Do you think they've got their tactics wrong by by starting off with what they everyone's referring to as a gun 15 but they're you know they're kind of their first choice starting 15 getting to, getting a, a loss and a and a pretty kind of wishy-washy win in Cardiff they they still beat England a great yeah, team. yeah no no fine and and became number one in the world and everything else but let's be honest if you're one of those players you're not coming away from that game going yeah boys we really showed them you know we, we've got real belief in ourselves. You're coming away going, okay, guys, we got away with a win there, um, but that wasn't what we thought was going to happen. Um, and, you know, we believe we're, we're considerably better than that. Like, uh, you know, you're, you're, as a Welsh fan, sure, you're going you're gonna to shout that you're number one in the world and, um, and, and all the rest of it. But I genuinely think if you're, if you're a player in that Welsh team, you're coming away going, that wasn't great. But- so right now, so my, my point is, is that right now you've got this these 14 changes, so a completely different side is going up against Ireland. Do you have to have your first 15 come back for the second leg uh, in two weeks' time in order to have given them a game where hopefully they've had a result, uh, you know, a good result leading into the start of the World Cup? Because if, if you play a sort of a test 15, as in a, a test, not, not like a test match, but a test as in like what they're going to do this weekend two weeks in a row against Ireland in order to try out combinations and what have you, and then you go into the World Cup, you've got a, a first 15 that d- doesn't have much to show for their warm-up games, really. I So I would I would slightly argue that. I love to mug off the Welsh. I would slightly argue that they deserve to be the best team in the world at the moment. If you look at results, and fair enough, maybe it's been a favourable fixture list, maybe it's not, but... They have ground out wins. Do I believe they can win the World Cup? I don't personally, but I don't think. So how do how can you deserve to be number one in the world, but not believe that they? Okay, I believe they can win the World Cup. I don't believe they will. I don't. I I I believe they can. On their day, I believe they can beat anyone. I don't believe they will be able to do it enough in a row. But I could be wrong. I I don't think I don't think they're playing necessarily playing anything wrong 
I think number one in the world will give them huge confidence. I don't think, I think it was predefined anyway. I don't think they suddenly changed their team because of previous results. No, I no, no. I, I, they made this plan ahead of time for sure. Uh, there was an interview with Warren Gatlin where he said that he discussed the teams with Joe Schmidt um, so that they kind of knew what they were doing um, you know, in, a oh, roundabout, in a roundabout way. So they discussed the fact that. So I'm on, on that basis. I'm assuming that Joe Schmidt is either going to play, you know, a first fifteen against a Welsh sort of select fifteen, and then they're going to switch it, switch it around in the next one, or they're both going to go with slightly un, untested combinations in this one, and then maybe go for a bit more of a test match for the next one. I'm assuming, but I, I guess I just you know you look at England. They went with a sort of a second fifteen in the first game. They got a win. They had a second fifteen in the second game, and it was close. It could have gone either way, and there was definitely a, an uplift when they brought on some of the better players. Um, they went with a a gum fifteen against Ireland and created a new record. Um, and then they're going to play against Italy, where okay, they'll probably take a step back. But you've kind of you've given them all the right amounts of confidence in all the right places along the way, and it feels like the team is just everything has everything is has gone in the right direction whereas Wales have had two games that you know one was a loss and one was a was a, a narrow victory with a gun 15 now they're going with this combination 15 and there's one game left after that but like what do you do do you do you stick with combinations and, and as I say you, you're it, things are a little bit sketchy going into the World Cup a bit unknown or do you do this this week and then go gun 15 next week and put it all on that and go, right, we need a result. And if they both do it, one of those two teams is going into a World Cup in a tough spot unless they have like an epic test match that's just really close. And, and do you know what I mean? I, I feel like Ireland need a win very badly. I feel Wales's confidence. I think that number one in the world will add massive confidence to Wales. If they lost this weekend, I don't mean it's the end of the world because like you say, it's, it is probably a second 15. Even if they lose again, I, I think it's, I think Ireland, it's more important. Ireland's performance is a lot more important than Wales. I think Wales are not in that bad a place, actually. Fair enough. Um, so do, who do you think will win? I, I'm going with Ireland. I mean, I think Ireland will win this weekend because having seen Wales' team, great players, good players, but I, I don't think that's, a, that's definitely not a top international team um i think ireland will probably want to put out a stronger team because they need that win after last weekend they need a win i mean they were absolutely destroyed by our boys correct correct and i I think you know a lot of a lot of you know ex ex players and and pundits and things have come out saying you know there's it's sometimes with losses it's easy to come up with excuses it's easy to talk about how it's done us a favor because it's kind of forced us to look at certain things i think most of them come out just gone no you know bottom line was that's unacceptable and it's a concern so yeah i think that that there's only one i mean there's only one way they can go from here and that's and that's to put in a performance and 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 show that it was some sort of a blip um and so yeah for that reason i think ireland have to go with a with a predominant starting 15 you know, yeah. I don't think they can afford to go with a a, a kind of a mix up. Um, but yeah, I, I'd love to see, regardless of what they do this week. You know, I, I would like to see Wales play their number one side, their their World Cup final team uh, against 
an Ireland World Cup final team for their second test match and, and you know I think that will reveal a lot but that for that reason they may not do it yeah I'd, I'd like to see it whether that happens I'm not sure but um, either way England in a strong position I I mean it's kind of our it's kind of our role to get carried away with it of course and we are a bit carried away with it well I certainly am uh, the Italy game will be interesting. I'll be interested in what team Eddie puts out. I hope it is. I hope there's a lot. Of, I hope there's a few players out there who get rested. Manu, Billy, uh, Owen Farrell. Um, yeah, I'm not sure Farrell will get rested because I, I think he's I mean, only played one. Hasn't well, he hasn't started at ten yet. Yeah, that's true. So I don't. I don't mind that. Uh, Elliot Daly, I think needs a take, rest. Take the fag out of your mouth till we've finished recording. <laughs> so, sorry, Elliot Daly. I'd like to see Watson start a fullback. Yes, I would definitely. I think you, you, it's a mistake to kind of go in saying he's the cover and then not actually have played him yet. Do we know if uh, McConaughey is going to be fit to start? We don't. I'm assuming he will be um, because, again, I think it's a it's a bizarre one if um, if we take him to the World Cup having knowing really very little about him. Um, so I'm hoping he's fit to play. So he'll be on one of the wings. Um, Maybe they go take out Manu and Big Joe and say, right, if we don't have the biggies in the back line, what happens when we have outrageous pace in Watson at fullback and then um, Johnny May and, and McConaughey on the outsides? Maybe maybe have Daly on the bench. Maybe bring him on in the wing as, as to see how he gets on. You know, Who would you have in the centres? Uh, I then think if he's fit, you have Slade at 13. Um... JJ? Do you go JJ and, and... I mean, maybe JJ's on the bench, but you, you wouldn't have... I don't think you'd go JJ and Slade in the centres. But then what are the options? You know, I reckon they'll, they might go Piers-Francis at 12. Oh, of course, yeah, Francis. So you go Francis 12 with, with Slade slash JJ 13. Willie Hines... I'd actually, do you know what? I'd actually go... Uh, I'd rest Willie Hines. I think he's shown us enough. I'd have Young starting... Ford yeah, is on the bench, but actually Ford's on the bench as scrum half cover, not fly half cover. Because Ford is the is the third choice backup scrum half at the moment. And he's been doing some training in camp at scrum half in, you know, for an occasion where he might potentially be be needed there. And I think with with everything they've already shown, why not let let's see let's see what that looks like. Well, yeah, I, I would hope Ben Young's yeah, possibly give him ten minutes, but I want Ben Young's to get as much of a game as possible. Yeah, fine. Ten, fifteen minutes at the end of the game. Uh, you know, and and obviously, yeah, like you say, give Ben Youngs the platform to say, yeah, the Ireland game was a was a kind of a mishap, um, and hopefully that's you know that's the case. But if Ben Youngs comes out and absolutely bosses it, you don't need him to stay on for the full game. You've you've seen that he's made up for what's happened, so then you can kind of maybe go twenty twenty five minutes for for a Ford at nine. I think that'd be an interesting thing to to look at. Um, that, that's the that's what I'm saying. I think England are in a position where they can now go back to testing out things without worrying too much about what that means for them going forwards they've they've shown what they're capable of with with a you know a couple of combinations they've shown what how how much they the uplift that exists when they then go here's a gun team so now is your kind of last chance rest a few key players try out a few last minute combinations um you know and just get a good kind of good run out a bit more match fitness and be ready to, to rock and roll against tonga Interesting. I'm I'm liking it. This is going to be. We, we are going into this in such a sort of positive mindset mm. compared to which which is great. Hopefully, we'll back that up. I'm sure we will. 
Of course, of course. Uh, it's going to be uh, an interesting one for sure. Unfortunately, no England rugby this weekend, but there is obviously a big game with the Wales Ireland match, which kicks off at about two o'clock, I think, or certainly the program starts at two on Channel Four. So those without Sky can still watch it. Um, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll know that. Send out some tweets and things, and we can talk about that next week. But of course, next week's episode is going to be predominantly about the team he chooses for Italy and you know I suspect there'll be one or two interesting decisions made there that we can uh, delve into um and then yeah it's it's next Friday a week tomorrow um Dan will be available for uh, a bit of a live his his first live match semi live match live pod or whatever um so we will then yeah give bring you all of the action from that England game against Italy uh, then um, but guys thanks so much for listening to us um, hopefully more and more of you are tuning in now uh, as, as things really start to gear up we've been hearing from lots of people about how world cup fever is causing them to look for their favorite rugby pods and glad to see that uh, a number of you are finding us um, keep that coming keep spreading the word if you've got any questions for us any thoughts if you want to uh, abuse us for saying the wrong things or for my clear dislike of the of the Welsh, um, <laughs> f- feel free. Uh, social media at England Rugby Pod, or you can email us englandrugbypod at gmail.com. Let us know whatever you want. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, we are looking to get a few people involved, little guest spots, um, particularly if they can uh, talk to us about our opposition. Um, so if you are one of those guys, or if you know anybody, guys or girls, um, if you know anybody uh, that fits that criteria, let them know, get in touch. Um, we'll see what we can do. Um, and uh, we will catch you guys next week. Bye, guys.